Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Child podcast. We are so glad that you have joined us today and I am super excited to introduce to you my next guest who's coming on the show today. Her name is Jessica Conzen. Did I say that correctly? Yes, yep. you did. Yes. <laughs> All the way from Austin, Texas. She is yes. a pastor, has been in pastoral ministry for a number of years. At the moment, she is a speaker, a storyteller, going all over the country, sharing her incredible testimony and ministering to people. God uses her in the gift of healing and all sorts of things like this. She is just an amazing woman of God, just so inspiring, but also is doing her degree at Regent and she is studying yes. biblical studies and theology. And so I am super excited to talk to her today about Madame Jean Guion. So I, yes. I just can't wait to get into it. Welcome, my friend. Good to see you. Yes, I am so thankful to be here. So honored that you asked me to be a guest. Aww. So yes, thank you. Thank you for coming. It's so good to see you. And I like that yeah. you've got the, the Texas, you're repping, repping Texas with the hat yes. today. <laughs> Absolutely. So yes, cool. Yes, I am. So you're over yes. there in Austin, Texas ministering, doing awesome things, and you've got into Madame Jean Guillon. So can you tell us a little bit about who this lady is, her background, why why should we know about her? What should we know? Absolutely. I would love to. I do have to preface. I do have a, um, I am from Texas, so my accent is a little thick at times. It's brilliant. Um, it's beautiful. My, it's <laughs> not as quite as pretty as yours. So, um, oh, but Madame it's better. Guillaume, she is one of my favorites. She was actually born um, April 13th, 1648, mm-hmm. outside of France, um, during the age of reason and um, reform, right before Pascal, but right, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, right after Pascal and right okay. before Wesley. Um, mm-hmm. She was actually born at eight months, um, which was unheard of in that time. Wow. Um, her mom and dad were um, a part of the aristocrat in France, mm-hmm. and she was she delivered her. Her mother delivered her at eight months, and wow. um, they actually didn't think that she was going to survive. Um, wow! And she did. She rallied. Mm-hmm. She she survived. Um, which is something as theme throughout her entire life, but um, and then the sickness as well seemed to kind of flow throughout her entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, around two years old, uh, her parents placed her in the Ursuline Seminary, um, mm-hmm. and she was there for about a short time, and then she ended up getting sick, coming home, and her mother kind of left her in the care of servants, mm-hmm. um, left her education to the servants, and. She was really neglected, um, to be honest. Um, And a few years later, um, about 1651, a duchess came in and um, Jean seemed to always find favor um, in different Mm -hmm. women. She didn't have a great relationship with her mother, but God seemed to give her um, that motherly figure often. And a duchess came in and actually took her, asked if she could come to the Benedictine nun, uh, nunnery with her convent. Wow. And um, so she did. And it was there that she spent several years. Um, and she realized that she, 
she wanted to yield her heart to God, she actually ended up having a dream about sinners dying. She's about four or five years old at this time. Um, had a dream that sinners were dying and decided that she wanted to give her heart to God. Um, she also said that she wanted to become a martyr for God. Um, and that she vowed to be one. And so the Benedictine nuns, um, decided that they were going to fulfill that dream for her. And they actually role-played this whole scenario where they told her, you talk about church hurt. Okay. They told her that, she was going to do it. Like she was going to become a martyr for God. Like she was going to die. And so one of the older girls led her to this room where they, Oh, this is freaky. I hate, I hate this story. (laughs) I know this story. I'm I'm freaked out already. This is like the stuff of Halloween. (laughs) No, I, you talk about seriously. If people have church hurt, like, okay, this is church hurt. Get ready for church hurt. hurt. Yeah. Yes. But so they lay a cloth out, they tell her to get on her knees and they raise a cutlass, which is like a knife above her head. And they were going to like, I don't know what they were going to do, but she cries out at this time. And she says that she can't die because she doesn't have her dad's permission. And so they. (laughs) Thank God for dad's permission. Thank God. Thank God. For our dad's permission. And so they basically were like, oh, well, you've, you've ruined it. Like God doesn't, you know, care wow. about you. You, you, you've decided not to become a martyr and, and um, rightfully so she falls into a depression as a child mm. and is brought home again. And again, she is left to the care of the servants and again, neglected. Mm. Um she she goes again to another convent with her half sister. She seems to be in and out of convents through her mm. most of her childhood. But she comes back home again. She's about eight years old. And the Queen of England at that time decided to take refuge in her home country. And she was wow. friends with um, Jean's parents and came by to have tea or whatever they did <laughs> in that time. As you do. <laughs> As you do. Tea with the Queen um, of England. Yeah. Right. In France. <laughs> and she um, she was so smitten with little Jean, she asked her father if she could come back with her Aww. and be her daughter's um, maid of honor and, and wow. right hand um, girl. Yes. Again, she had incredible favor. Of course, her, um, her father said no at this time, um, which Jean looks back and thinks, you know, she has said that it was probably a blessing in disguise because she would have been caught up in the courts. And we know that that was, you know, vulgarity and whatever else. Mm. Um, and so she then again finds herself at 10 years old in the Dominican convent at the request mm. of a Prius. Again, there's that favor. Um, But her health is still kind of just, um, she battled her health. Um, And so in one of the rooms, she'd be sick for days um, on end. um, Mm -hmm. And she found a Bible, which is curious to me because it is a convent. I would think there would be Bibles, but she found (laughs) a Bible in her room and, and um, she would just read it on day's end. And um, she decided that she wanted to take the sacrament at age 12. Um, and again, she goes back home, um, and she is, um, beginning to blossom and beginning to turn (laughs) into a teenage girl. And, um, she's quite, uh, beautiful and her mother then begins to pay attention to her. 
And so um, we can see where that vanity came from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so her mother begins to pay attention to her. And um, one day why Gina's out walking, she's kind of left behind her. She never did take the sacrament. She kind of left behind um, all of her religious piety and the things that were, she was doing and got caught up in the vanity of being a teenage girl. Um, and her cousin actually stops by on his way to be a missionary in China. And Jean didn't see him, but it was so impactful at the time Mm -hmm. that she spent days on end crying, um, about the differences in her life and in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she again, then resolves to be, um, give her heart to God. And so she starts, um, doing good works, taking care of the poor, going to, um, mass, doing the different things Mm -hmm. to, um, you know, the religious, um, things that would, that would continue to bring her through this. And then, um, as time goes on, um, it was never quite heartfelt and she Mm -hmm. then falls in love with her cousin. So she's about 14 years. <laughs> that story took a very awkward twist. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Um, she falls in love with her cousin. She reads, um, instead of reading the Bible, she begins to read romance stories and mm-hmm. uh, she gets caught up again in, um, you know, teenage um, angst and, and whatever <laughs> else it might be pining over a cousin um and then her fam- her yeah right <laughs> then her family moves to paris which um in hindsight was probably not the best idea she, you know it's it's louis the 14th is um uh, it's it's just a time of like at that time it would be like las vegas i don't know <laughs> where you guys were what city you can yes. compare it to but yeah it would be las vegas it was the okay. you know capital of sin basically and so um and she finds herself um being courted by several men um and just having fun and gaiety and and vanity and and um she cared about well, she probably was an influencer. I would say that she, yeah. she lived today. She of would the be a 17th century. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what she would be. Um, but then this this man comes along that is almost twice her age, and um, he has great wealth and great prestige. And his name is um, Jacques Guion. And mm-hmm. I probably just butchered that. But he um, she decides <laughs> that she... Yeah, <laughs> there's several other words there that I might have issues yeah. with, but um, she decides to marry him. Um, and instead of being, um, you know, a wedded bliss, she says that it becomes a house of mourning. Um, mm. She lived there with her with her mother-in-law, who was not a very educated woman, who um, ruled the house with an iron fist, um, who did not like Jean at all. And so mm. she would go in between her husband and her, and she would um, she would say that uh, Jean was ungrateful. Of course, Jean was a very intelligent. Mm. And so anytime she would open her mouth, her mother-in-law would take it as being disrespectful um, wow. or that Jean didn't know her place. Um, about a year after her marriage, um, her first son was born. And then um, again, she was very sick throughout um, this time as well. She's still mm. quite young. 
her second year of marriage, she um, came very close to death. Um, And yeah, and um, she ended up rallying again. And her mother and her beloved half sister who had taken her to one of the convents actually died in the same year. So her life was (laughs) her life was beginning to be filled with grief and pain um again you know um and it was about 1665 um and her cousin comes home from china and begins to um and in this time you know her her mother has been stripped away but then she becomes friends with um a dear woman named Genevieve Granger. Um, she begins to read Thomas Akempis. She begins mm-hmm. to read. There wasn't many deep spiritual um, um, people or ta- you know influences of that time because mm-hmm. of the age of reason. Pascal was very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but randomly, this monk visits her home. Wow. Um, and it was it was just through this random encounter with this monk that she begins to see her real need for Christ and mm. how that most of her time spent was through outward works and not an inward, um, inward heart change. And she says mm. that she became deeply wounded with the love of God, like wounded mm. so much that she couldn't do anything else. In fact, um, she's quoted to say, Thy love, oh my God, flowed in me like a delicious oil and burned as a fire, which was going to destroy all that was left of self in an instant. Mm. I was all of a sudden so altered that I was hardly to be known to either to myself or to others. Mm. And that day was July 22nd, 1968. She said that nothing else mattered. Hours would blend together and pass away as she would just pray. She wanted to do nothing else but pray. Um, she would um, get up as early as 4 a.m. to spend time in the, in the Lord's presence. She would yeah. travel miles on end and cross rivers to be able to go to the churches to spend time with mm-hmm. the Lord. And in this time, she had another son. And she would begin to um, care for um, the poor, but she also um, began to teach a trade to to young girls so that they would have Mm. something um, to do themselves. You know, um, her third child was born. It was a beautiful daughter, but her mother-in-law still fought her at this time. In fact, turned her um, eldest son and her husband against her. And they Mm. were so... um, they felt, I believe, felt so condemned by her piety, by her, by her mm. zeal for the Lord that they, wow. they just couldn't stand it. They thought it was weird. And there was even times where um, she would be sitting with them while they were playing cards. And if she began to close her eyes or turn her head in a direction to pray, they would go berserk. They would lose wow. it. Um, they even had um, several of the maids to spy on her. There was even one <laughs> instance where... Um, one maid and her ended up getting into an altercation and her husband actually took the side of the maid. Um, and so she was really a slave, um, in her own home, but she said for two years, she was on a mountaintop with the Lord. Like there was nothing that could sway her. All she wanted to do was to pray and spend time Mm -hmm. with the father. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she began to travel with her husband. Um, and it was in this 
time that she would begin to neglect prayer and she'd begin to neglect some of the things um, that she was previously doing. And she found Mm. herself being caught up in the same vanity again, being caught up in the same. um, And it was always, always her looks and always materialism and always, Mm. you know, beautiful dresses and things um, that were feeding that inside of her. And um, she, she went away to seek the Lord and she decided to go to um, Notre Dame to worship. And as she was walking along, um, a poor beggar um, called out to her and he was dressed in religious garb and he began to basically read her mail, what we call it today wow. in Christianese. Yeah. But he would, he would re- begin to tell her about her past and her future wow. and, and basically Um, penetrated her very soul. Um, And she said that she had never seen him before and never saw him again after that day. Mm. But it was on that day that she decided to rededicate her life and her and submit her life um, to the Lord and the work of the Lord. Amazing. Yeah. Um, And she even, you know, Mm. she prayed that this vanity would be taken in a way that she Mm. wouldn't be tempted with it any longer. And um, that was, between 20 and 22. And she got her wish shortly after that, because she began, um, she ended up getting smallpox. Um, and it ravished her entire, um, household. She had it so bad that her nose turned black. She thought that her Mm. nose was going to like fall off her face. Um, yeah, it is gross. (laughs) 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 I read her biography and it's, it's very detailed. Oh, Um, wow. and she said, um, she even drew pictures of herself and other things in her biography. No way. Yeah. <laughs> but, of the nose um, falling off. Yeah. No. <laughs> Sphinx stuff. But she, yeah. But NJ she stuff. said that, um, yeah, she <laughs> said that she was left alone for days at a time. Like her mother-in-law just like, I, care. I mean, basically, no, didn't mm-hmm. care. Like she, it would be, they would, they would slip her, her drink or her food or her nourishment, um, and, you know, again, she rallied mm-hmm. through it. God, God took her through it. Yeah. And she began to mm-hmm. gain her strength back. And um, she said she sat up in bed and she asked for a mirror and they wow. didn't want to give her a mirror because the smallpox had basically disfigured her. Ooh. And so they gave her the mirror and she said she did not shed one tear. She saw the glory of the Lord. Her vanity had been ripped away in that time. And so, um, and very shortly Mm -hmm. after that, um, her father and her three-year-old beautiful daughter, and then her, her good friend, Genevieve Granger all died within the same year. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if they died of smallpox or, you know, people died Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty often with all kinds of things back then. Um, but basically every support that she had had in the flesh that gave her any type of, um, security or comfort, you know, her mother, her mother was, um, not, uh, very involved in her life. She was very neglected, neglectful, but her father was, um, very loving and very supportive, wow. even with some of this, the, the issues going on with the husband and the mother-in-law, her father actually mm-hmm. wanted to do something, wanted to take care of it. And she mm-hmm. went to him and basically was like, please don't, re- don't disrespect them. Like she protected them even though they were abusing her, she was like, wow. I don't want you to dishonor them. 
and her father, it gained his respect even more. Um, mm. You know, so right after all of um, those loved ones passed away, she said, began the greatest trial of her life. Now, wow, you th- <laughs> I know she's already all had so many trials. <laughs> What's right? coming next on this it's roller like, coaster ride? Oh. Okay. Yes, like she's already had so many things happen to her. Yeah. But I can totally empathize with wow. why she calls this her greatest trial because it was like a state of desolation. The Lord mm. took his hand, basically, his comforter. He took his Holy Spirit. Um, she could not feel him. She could not gain any type of intimacy with him that she had done previously. And, um, if I was her friend at the time, I was, I would be yelling at her. He's teaching you faith. Um, <laughs> you know, she had no word or feeling or emotion from God and she had to walk that journey alone. Um, and she made the mistake in thinking that God had abandoned her, which I don't blame her. I think we all would have done that in that moment. Um, especially after she had endured so much tragedy. Well, it was a seven year period. And in those seven years, her husband passed away as well. Um, and they had only been married, um, for about 12 years. And so, you know, you think about her life, everything has Mm. happened in such a short amount of time. Um, well, it was in that time that she began to around 1970, I'm sorry, 1674. She began to communicate with father Lacombe. Um, she had Mm. actually led him to salvation, um, earlier Yes. Um, and so he was a Barnabite, which was a type of religious brotherhood with the Catholic church. And, um, they began to communicate. Um, so she actually, in this seven year period of time, um, she sent father Lacombe a letter asking him to take the day, July 22nd, and to do it as a day of prayer and fasting. And she believed that if he did this, that she would have a breakthrough and she would feel the presence of God. Well, somehow the letter reached him exactly (laughs) in the enough time. And on July 22nd, they both fasted and prayed and she got her breakthrough. Now, if you remember July 22nd, 1968 was the day of her salvation. So 12 years later was the day of her breakthrough on the same date. Um, And I'm all... I'm all about dates. So I, I love that portion. <laughs> um, cool. And she said um, that after she got her, her breakthrough, she said in a wonderful manner, difficult to explain all that, which has been taken from me was not only restored, but restored with increase and new advantages. Mm-hmm. And so she basically said that everything that had been taken from her was being completely restored. And, wow, and this on. is, this is the time that she began to um, travel with Father Lacombe. And um, from 1681 to 1685, they toured France and Italy. And, and Sounds Italy romantic. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get there. Trust me. Yeah, okay. Um, um, They're pulling the wool over these beady eyes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, um, and it was known across the country, there was rumors flying left and right with that. But, mm. um, but that uh, she ended up in Geneva, Switzerland with him, and which upset the Bishop 
of Geneva and he asked them to leave. But everywhere they went, there was these spiritual revivals taking place. I mean, again, you have you have a very dry and dead culture. And Mm -hmm. here comes these radicals that have rumors attached Mm -hmm. to them. I love it. Have attached to them, have 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 things on them, and yet they're stirring up the pot everywhere they're going, wow. and um, Come on. they're introducing um, the death to the self life is what they called mm. it. Um, and and Father mm. Lacombe actually had introduced her to what is called quietism, um, which mm. is what we'll get to as well. But it's it's mm. a part of a it, part of her mystical life. Um, the king at the time, Louis XIV, actually was condemning quietism. Uh, Miguel Molinas was the father of quietism. And uh, he actually was condemned and imprisoned around this time. Um, and in 1686, right before he was in prison, um, is when she wrote her first short and easy method of prayer um, book. And um, it actually ended up getting her imprisoned as well as Father Lacombe was thrown in the prison at time at this Crazy. time. He was so cruelly tortured that he began to um his mind was affected after that. He was not quite mm-hmm. he was not quite the same. In sixteen eighty seven, um Jean's brother, who was also mm-hmm. a Barnabite, actually wanted her arrested for her practicing of quietism. It was so against the religious beliefs of the day. It was mm. it was they believed that it was heresy. Um in the Catholic Church. But <clears throat> in the Catholic Church, correct. Um and then King Louis the Fourteenth actually um, imprisoned her in the convent of Saint Marie. But see, she had learned to suffer, and mm-hmm. so being imprisoned, I mean, I'm sure was fine with her because she grew stronger. Um, her time in prison was spent writing hymns and and praising, and and um, she was sick part of the time um, because of the poor air quality. Um, she spent about eight months in imprisoned there but she Mm -hmm. was poisoned several times um (laughs) why she was in prison um yes which actually affected her health for an additional seven years um i can't imagine the type of illnesses that she probably she probably had um then again and in 1695 she was again imprisoned by the king in the prison of vagard um, and then in 1698, she was in prison in the Bastille, which is the historic wow. and dreaded prison of Paris. Wow. Um, she spent four years in that dungeon, but prison was great to her because she just put her faith in God. So it seemed wow. as though it was a palace. Um, <laughs> and then, and then in 1702, she was re- released, but she had to be released on a stretcher because of how many times she had been poisoned. And she was then banished to Blois, Blois, Blois. I can't correctly say it, uh, Blois, but uh, uh, <laughs> it was actually, yeah, B-L-O-I-S. There you go. Um, yeah. But actually, it was the home of her son-in-law, or it was the home of somebody that was her relative. Um, mm. And that is where she spent the remainder of her days. And then she died in perfect peace at the age of 69 and 1717. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. What a great um, introduction to Madame Guillaume. Thank you so much, Jessica. That was like just You're fantastic. Welcome. I love your storytelling <laughs> gift as well, because I was riding the roller coaster with those waves and everything as well. Um, you did mention a little bit about some of the works that she had written. And I know from my studies, being a historical theology major and historian and stuff, there are many people, many well-known figures throughout church history who actually refer refer to her work so people like Wesley like Spurgeon yes. like um, Toza, uh, Tory, Watchman Nee, Watchman Nee, all these different people Hudson yes. Taylor all these people who actually reference her work and some people with a little bit of caution because when when it comes to any mystical writers and stuff like that you got to take the fish and spit out the bones and it's definitely right, just right, this right. person's experience so we're getting an insight into this person's encounter with God and their relationship with God and how they're sort of right. encountering God. But her works have had such a major influence on many different people throughout church history. So right. can you tell us a little bit about some of her big works, what's she known for, Absolutely. what are some of these writings that maybe we can have a look at? Absolutely. Well, she there is 60 volumes of her writings, actually. Wow. Most of her, and she has she has poems. She has um, hymns. Um, some of her poems were actually translated by the English poet Cowper. Um, wow. And then she did the short and easy method of prayer. She has union with God. Um, she has experiencing the depth of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, her um, her autobiography it, itself. So she, um, you know, what's incredible about it is she wrote all these different books. And I, I love some of the beginning of them because she talks about, you know, if you don't know how, if you're not very well educated, this is the book for you, basically. <laughs> she was like, this is a very... If you're an idiot, way. read this. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, uh, I must be an idiot because oh. she's very in-depth. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. But, um, but um, yes. And so she just, you know, she not only wrote those incredible books and wrote incredible books poems and hymns, but she also opened hospitals. Um, wow. She also ministered to the sick. She also wow. saw healings occur. She wow. was in one convent actually. And, and um, one of the maids was very sick and she looked at the maid and said, rise and be sick no longer. And the maid got up and was completely wow. healed. Come on. The crazy thing <laughs> is, is the nuns made it up to be as though the maid had completely made up the fact she was even sick. It was so <laughs> like they couldn't, they couldn't believe it. Mm. So, um, but she was also, she was known for quietism. Um, you know, I, we call it now soaking in the nineties, you called it mm. marinating. Um, it's also <laughs> been known as the, the daily office or it's meditation. It's turning an mm. inward um, time with the Lord. Um, and I believe that these great generals like Wesley and like me, they were able to take it along is they understood suffering. So, um, you know, which is one of the identities of Christ, you know, the gospel of Mark shows the identity of Christ and, and in suffering, you truly learn to turn into the intimacy of the father. And so wow, she, beautiful. she went through so much suffering that it was either death or get into his presence. And so that's what she, she was, known for that's what quietism um you know and some some people again can take it so mystical they can take it mm. um so new age in some yes, some aspects yeah. but 
but they haven't probably read her works, you know? Mm -hmm. And so truly it's an intimacy with the father, you know, an intimacy with Jesus. Um, You know, and for me personally, one reason why I loved her is because I took the scripture passage, Exodus 33, where Moses took his tent outside to wait for the face of the Lord. And that's that's Mm -hmm. one of my life scriptures is I daily go to a place where I say, okay, I'm going to wait for your presence and I'm going to I'm going to sit here with you. Um, and, and it's, it's the same, I believe the same type of concept. And so, um, you know, she, uh, she was able to write these incredible books. And, and again, I believe that if you suffer as heavily and as um, deeply as she did, then these can bring you great comfort and joy. Cause again, it's either, it's either, um, you know, allowed death to take you over or to seek his presence. And so I would choose, I would choose his presence Mm -hmm. over and over again, you know? So yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. This is awesome. Are you able to tell us a little bit, maybe Jessica, about, you know, why we should know her works today, why we should, what we can learn from Madame Guillaume today in our Christian walk. Um, I know, as you said, you know, lots of people have sort of maybe talked about it, but not necessarily read her works or what you being someone who has read a lot of her work. Um, what's the main sort of takeaways that you have found through her life and through her work that you feel is, is so um, pertinent for the church today? I would say inward peace. You know, mm. we have a culture that is so driven by social media, so busy mm. by the chatter that goes on in the world so busy, even in ministry, you know, we're constantly looking for the next, constantly Mm. looking for the doing. And we forget about the resting that it takes to be able to be and fulfilled with Jesus. It's the intimacy. It's the relationship. She quotes in her from union with God. And I, I I can speak to this. This is like a testimony to my own walk, but it says now when your emotions and feelings are turbulent with anxiety and anger, then be assured a general retreat inward to the presence of God deadens these emotions. Any other way of opposing these emotions, you will only succeed in irritating them, not stilling them. Mm -hmm. So in other words, when we seek things other than God, when we seek things other than the intimacy with Jesus, it's just going to make it worse, right? We're just going to become more busy. We're just going to become more irritated. And I think looking back over her life, um, you know, a lot of people still... Um, might have the mindset of, um, you know, the name it and claim it or the mindset mm. of you become a Christian and and everything's perfect, right? Yeah. You got the white yeah. picket fence. There's no suffering. I mean, I live in America. So mm. the American dream, what they don't mm. realize is that we have been called to a life of suffering. If Christ yeah. had to suffer and die on the cross, you think that you're not going to have problems. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. so that's kind mm. of... Um, seeing her life that she turned that and through all of her suffering mm. she turned her mindset to the be looking for that inward peace of the father beautiful i love that can you share with us any of the your favorite quotes or any anything <clears throat> that you've read or any, anything that she's known for to um to have been quoted in her works yes so um actually in the introduction of her autobiography mm. um 
um, the, the person, which I'm not really sure who wrote it, but they said this about her. And I think that this fits her perfectly. And I wish that somebody says this about me when I die. Um, (laughs) but it says viewed from a human standpoint, it is a sublime spectacle to see a solitary woman subvert all the machinations of kings and courtiers mm-hmm. laugh to scorn all the malignant engineering of the papal mm-hmm. inquisition and to silence and confound the pretensions of the most learned divines she mm-hmm. not only saw more clearly the sublime truths of our most holy christianity mm-hmm. but she basked in the clear clearless and most beautiful sunlight when they all groped in the darkness she was grasped with ease the deepest and sublimest truth of holy writ while they were lost in the mazes of their own profound ignorance. Mm. I love that. And mm-hmm. I wish somebody would say that about me. Wow. Um, another, another quote that I love of her is, I have learned to love the darkness of sorrow. Then you, there you will see the brightness of his face. Wow. I love that because it says that he is close to the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he says that he's close to those who grieve. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. think that that is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Another quote is, but the misfortune is that people wish to direct God instead of resigning themselves to be directed by him, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Um, she also says, um, there is only one requirement that you must follow at all times in prayer. This simple requirement is that you must learn to pray from your heart and not your head. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last quote that I have, um, which there's, there's hundreds of them, like literally like her whole book I could, I've highlighted. Um, (laughs) Amazing. All consolation does not come from God is but desolation. When the soul has learned to receive no comfort, but in God only, it has passed beyond the reach of desolation. Mm-hmm. Basically, when you have that inward peace of God, mm-hmm. nothing else matters. Your whole world can be shaken, yeah. but you have peace Great. and a quiet and a stillness here. So I good. love that. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, what great quotes. And it just makes me want to go and read all of her stuff, just get all the mic drops yes. from her. She's, uh, uh, yeah, so inspiring. So um, we, we want to finish up with maybe some fun facts or a fun story. Is there anything that you can think of, Jessica, um, that we know of that might be a little bit more interesting about her life? Not that all of this hasn't been interesting, but anything <laughs> quirky that we need to know. Yes, I do. Okay. So in her first six months of marriage, um, she was so weighed down with grief in her autobiography. It says that she really considered cutting out her tongue. Like she she thought she literally like, like planned it out because of the fact that regardless of what she would say, her mother-in-law would just attack her. So, um, (laughs) yes. So I thought that was great. Yeah, um, that's insane. From the, um, from the Catholic Culture on, Culture Online Journal, it said that um, so there was this uh, there was this rumors that Father Lacombe and her would be able to be in the same room and that they could communicate without even speaking. That if she began to cough, all he, <laughs> all he would have sounds to like love to me. Cough. <laughs> I know, um, but that he would put her his head on her head and she would be healed instantly. Um, wow. And they said that there was, um, 
you know, a steady flow of communication that would happen. And then I'm going to quote this portion, but it said that um, she would say that they were not they were not um, together, except for she would never admit to anything more than serious and a few harmless kisses. So oh. again, this is <laughs> a few harmless kisses, eh? Yikes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I love the drama. I'm like caught up in the drama I of history. Feel, I love it's it. Great. It's great. Yeah. Um, but they, but they said that whenever he was tortured and lost his mind, that he began mm. to, um, he would accuse himself of more immoral actions with her so that when he lost, yeah. Yeah. So who, you know, I don't know. Scandalous. 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 Um, Another rumor was that whenever in 1683, she was going through (laughs) a terrible physical and psychological crisis. um, And in the, it said in the course, she was in doubt to whether she was pregnant with the infant Jesus or that she was being tormented by the great dragon of the apocalypse. So she, they said that she thought that she was pregnant either with Jesus or with Satan. Um, again, <laughs> these are all rumors Could be. of her. Yeah. 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 You don't know. Um, <laughs> also, even recently. So she was so, um, I mean, you got to think about it. Here is this incredible, strong woman. And here she is mm. traveling around in this time period. I mean, you know, as hard as it is to be a pastor and female as it, in 2021, I can't imagine being in ministry in the 16, you know, 1648 mm. or 1683. Mm. Um, and so she had rumors surrounding her entire life. But I found an article wow. from 2010 that was still... Um, again, slandering her as a heretic, saying that she believed in pantheism and that she had the delusions um, and he compared her to Catherine Kuhlman and Amy Simple McPherson. So um, you can probably guess what type of denomination he was, I would say, on here. (laughs) I think this is where being trained in history and uh, historical theology and stuff, this is where it's great to let the sources speak for themselves. You can read all sorts right. of like rumors about people, all sorts of things like that. But if you go to their actual work, read what they actually wrote, you can de- determine for yourself, you know, what you think of their work. And as I said before, ha- to eat the meat, spit out the bones. Um, right. There's some I mean, she was, be found. she was human. I mean, who, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I, <laughs> when I was pregnant giving birth, I probably said some things too who knows (laughs) (laughs) but um don't ask my husband yeah yeah who knows um, the tapes have been they've been burnt oh there is no tapes okay (laughs) (laughs) nothing no um but yes she was a hero to many we mentioned earlier um watchman knee said that he took her everywhere with him actually it was Mm. she was such a great hero to him Um, And then one of my favorite stories about her was that she was on, and this is the last story I have, is that she was on a ship with a bishop and the ship was being ripped in two by a very violent storm. Well, at one point, the bishop began to freak out and say that he was dying and he looked over to Madame Guion and she, he said that he just looked at her countenance. And that she had not even flinched. He specifically said not even the slightest movement from her eyebrow moved. She was, uh, she just, death was not um, fearful for her. And that she, Mm. you know, she probably was greatly feared herself. (laughs) Wow. 
Yeah. That's incredible. I, I, you have definitely come through with the goods when it comes to the quirky stories, the fun facts. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. Um, is, is there anything that you would like to share just as a final thought on Madame Guillaume? You've obviously studied her a lot, studied a lot of her works. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with when it comes to approaching her? You know, I just, I love what you're doing with this podcast because I just, believe that it's looking back at these great mm. people. It's looking back at Madame Guyon's life and, mm. and it shows us, it gives us strength. It gives us hope and mm. walking through this journey today. And so mm. I would just, I would advise, take her work. I mean, if you're not a reader, which mm. I hope that you are, um, mm. you know, look her, they have audible that you can listen yeah. to. <laughs> um, but read her, her stuff, you know, let the Lord speak through to, um, to you through it, because it's so important to, to study these people. And I just, I yeah. just think it's fantastic. And again, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun hanging Aww. out with you. Oh, thank you so much for being on Jessica. I have learned so much and it's been such an enjoyable episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to know more about your ministry, how can they connect with you? They can connect with me. The best is probably Instagram. I'm on Facebook, yeah. but that's really more so for my mom. So yeah, who cares about you Facebook? Want, Absolutely. If, yes. So you can just um, you can just find me, Jessica Constant, um, mm-hmm. on Instagram, and um, I'm sure you'll put how to spell my name. Um, yes. In, yep. In the we'll in the comments, it. but yes, there you can find me and follow me and see many pictures of what I'm studying, my children, and of course my dogs. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You are the best. It's been wonderful to hang out with you. And thank you everyone who's joined us for the episode as well. It's been a pleasure to share about Madame Guillaume with Jessica with you today. We hope that you can join us next time on the Eagle and Child podcast. Thanks so much for tuning into the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.